Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Everybody listening in Ellen Page, um, an Academy Award nominated actor known for her incredible on screen presence in both tentpole and art house films, to Dr. Ingrid Waldron and your expertise. And I can put out there an associate professor in the facility of health. And may I pronounce it correctly? Is it Dalhousie? Is that yes, the Dal- yes University? University. Yes. <laughs> You two women are absolutely incredible, and I am so excited to hear about your debut, Ellen, that you directed. There's something in the water, and right up my alley, and the importance of water, the work you do, the power of women, the activism that they can exhibit, the changes that they can make, and the work that you have done is incredible. So. We can start with Ellen on this amazing directorial debut uh, on Netflix. There's something in the water. Can you tell us about that and you and your work and your passion and your involvement in this? Sure. Well, thank you so, so much for um, kind words and having us and wanting to talk about the film. And needless to say, all your extraordinary work and all uh all the amazing things you've done and and how much you've inspired so many um and i mean really how this all began was i read ingrid's groundbreaking book there's something in the water and i was absolutely shocked and horrified at the situation as well as my lack of awareness and needless to say like it's my responsibility to, you know, educate myself and, and learn more um, about these issues in my home province where I grew up. And um, after reading this book, I just felt compelled to reach out to Ingrid because her work um, needed to be, you know, I, I, I just wanted to help in any way I possibly could to elevate her work and the voices um, and the individuals that she spoke to while, while, uh, while writing this book. And, um, so we spoke and brainstormed together and one thing led to another and here we are. I mean, it is a long story, (laughs) not set up to Nova Scotia with two rented five D's thinking we were going to be making a feature film by any means. Um, so really this is all about Ingrid, uh, her work and the women in this film. They're, they're truly, um, the film and, um, uh, and I'm grateful to just be, you know, uh, a part of it. I I understand um, that you are from Nova Scotia, correct? Yes, yes. That, that's your hometown. Yes, yeah. And I'm I'm no stranger to, and I'm going to bounce over to Dr. Waldron um, again. So unbelievably impressive um, the work that you have done, and especially in the Nova Scotia and Canada area. You know, I I work in Nova Scotia with paper mill issues. Um, Dr. Waldron, I don't know if you're familiar with those or the tarpons. There's been a lot of people don't always understand the um, 
issue of the environment and water issues is so far reaching. I think that they think sometimes it's only in their own backyard and it's happening nowhere else. Mm-hmm. And, and Dr. Walter and I, I'm fascinated that you hold a BA in psychology. Um, and I've learned throughout my career of 25 years in and out of these communities, the importance of understanding um, the emotions, um, the mental anguish, all of the psychology that goes in and what happens to these communities. And you're getting in there and the work that you've done with them um, it is uplifting to me. I honestly, like, I'm not tongue tied. I want to say to both of you, I feel very starstruck. Um, and <laughs> the excitement it is for me to, you know, it's hard to have this conversation about water. Um, and um, whether we're looking at, you know, racial issues involved, cultural issues, inside of all of these types of contamination, because it can be overwhelming and gloom and doom. But how we get in there and ferret out that courage and empowerment, especially for these women. And I will tell you 10 times out of 10 in all of these cases I work with, it is women who rise up that just say, this isn't going to be on my watch. The work that you do, Dr. Waldron, um, it is invaluable. And can you share a little bit with us about where writing the book, the research, what you're seeing? Um, Sure. I mean, I think everybody the, the, would want to know. Uh, the 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 project um, upon which the book is based started in 2012. Not something that I necessarily wanted or asked for. Um, as you mentioned, you know, my first degree was in psychology, and I had been doing work on mental illness among Black women. That was my doctoral work and my postdoctoral work. So my intention was to continue that. This project um, on environmental racism was kind of handed to me by an activist here in Nova Scotia who was planning to leave uh, for Oakland, California, to um, to um, start up a, a new co-op, I believe, around solar energy. So before he left, I guess he wanted to make sure it was in the hands of perhaps a professor who could support it through grants. So he just met with me and he said, I want you to take on this project. And he said, it's on environmental racism. I didn't know what it was, just like a lot of people don't. Um, and he explained right. it to me, but I was very hesitant to take it on because my focus was on mental illness. I didn't think I had the expertise. I thought you needed to be an environmental scientist. So I thought to myself, how am I going to do this without an environmental science degree? But there was something compelling about it, um, something controversial, something, you know, it, it felt like a challenge, something that I didn't know anything about. So the challenge actually attracted me to it. So I said, yes. So in 2012, I started the project and started building relationships. That was another challenge. I, I was new to Nova Scotia. I had just come from Toronto, and I thought, well, I don't even know the communities. I don't really know the African Nova Scotian community very well, and I certainly don't know the indigenous community, so how am I going to do this? Um, so it, it took some time in terms of just building relationships and trust, which is actually key. Um, and then I started doing workshops with communities, getting a sense of what they wanted and what their priorities were around this issue, not my priorities, but their priorities. And, uh, you know, started doing research, doing events, raising awareness. And the book was, um, I started writing the book in 2016. And that was, I guess the book was almost like a response to um, individuals who were doubtful about the existence of environmental racism or just in terms of groups that I felt didn't have the right lens or framework to discuss the issue. 
there was a lot of talk about environmental justice, which is what we want to achieve, but very little talk about environmental racism, which is the condition, right? So before you, before you can uh, treat the illness, you gotta know what the illness is. So I thought, well, I need to know the causal factors for this, what's causing this? Obviously it's government policy, you know, but why, is, uh, why are these communities disproportionately um, near uh, environmental hazards? Um, so I wanted to find out the causal factors first. So my project and the book is actually bringing a different lens to the topic than, than I typically see here in Canada. Um, and very few studies in Canada actually talk about the racism part. They talk about the justice part, which is important, but I just felt that I needed to explore the racism part first and then provide some recommendations. So, yeah, so the book was based on that project. It's me trying to kind of figure out why is this happening? Why has this been happening since the late 1940s in some cases? You know, and, and that's fascinating because, you know, there's so much, there's aspects in environmental issues around water um, that we don't touch upon that, that you've gone deeply into. And, and that is, A, it's clearly the psychology uh, um, and the, the racism and the ethnical factors. I mean, I've seen this, you know, for 25 years in my career. I mean, the absence of uh, the policies we're relying on antiquated policies um the idea that we don't talk about a particular issue i i see this in australia i see it here on um whether it be certain tribes or um they're not provided the exact information and it's, it's a hard subject to touch upon and i think that you have done such an amazing job doing that and it's an issue that needs to finally come out. It's not like this just started yesterday. This has been decades of a behavior and a pattern and a suppression yeah. of these communities that will finally thank you to you and thank you to Ellen, you know, for rising up and getting these issues to the forefront. And I think that it's going to be even more of the forefront. I think it is going to be the future on how we start looking at and dealing with these issues. Uh -huh. And the, the equality has to change. Um, the information has to change. The awareness has to rise. The cleanups have to begin. And it's just amazing, the work that you've done. And I, I, I do wanna ask you something. Um, if you've learned in your, say, in, in your psychology work has been in mental health, are you seeing that degrading the environment and pollution of the water would be contributing to those mental health changes? In, in two ways, perhaps. Um, I, I also think that's, that's missing from a lot of work, the psychological impacts of uh, environmental racism, which is something I'm also uh, looking at. Um, in two ways, it has an impact. Uh, one would be when I first met with uh, the indigenous community, the Mi'kmaq community here, um, one of the elders mentioned to me that he believes that high rates of autism is due to uh, environmental hazards. Now, I was just new to the project and I thought, oh, I, I initially thought, oh, that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> but it wasn't a bit of a stretch because I think it was last mm -hmm. year or the year before. There are articles coming out now that show that uh, environmental hazards, um, one of the outcomes is autism. And there are high rates of autism in the uh, Mi'kmaq community here. So that's that's a disability, I guess, autism. 
Um, however, mm -hmm. in terms of the emotional impact, that's also key. Uh, one of the women featured in the film, Louise DeLille, did a presentation uh, a few years ago, and she said, well, we feel like trash because we live near the trash. And I thought that said so much. Um, there's a sense of you know low self-esteem and feeling yes. worthless because you're the group of people that lives near the trash, and it makes you feel like trash. So there's certainly um, the emotional aspect, but also the psychological stressors of always having to worry what's in your water. And I, I got that sense from the African Nova Scotian community in, in Lincolnville and the African Nova Scotian community in Shelburne, you know, not knowing what's in your water and not having the privilege of having it tested means that you're always worried about the water and that creates anxiety, that creates stress. And we all know that stress is, uh, can be a killer as well, right? Uh, it, le it leads to chronic diseases. So I think it's important to look at uh, environmental racism in terms of its relationship between autism and other cognitive illnesses or disabilities and the emotional and spiritual impact and the psychological impact on communities. Yeah, and, and I've seen that, you know, from, from uh, day one, um, back in my day in Hinckley, California. Uh, it is, there's a suppression that goes on. Uh, I know the women feel it um, for certain because they're told you're overreacting. Um, what you see isn't real. That was one of the first things that sent me sideways was these people were being told that two-headed frog in green water is normal. It's like bullshit. But to you have to get to the heart of these women because they're terrified to use that voice because they're told they're alarmist or you're this or you're that or you're panicking or go away and then that self-esteem drops and they just start backing up but the work you've done and Ellen coming back into directing it and that activism and and help you're supporting these women to rise up and use their voice and it is you know 99% of the time the women that will take charge in the community that do rise up because they're afraid for their children that get pushed down enough that when your work, when Ellen comes in, when we come in and support them, that gives them that permission uh -huh. for them to speak up. Mm -hmm. And this is why my book is called Superman's Not Coming. But we're here. Dr. Ingrid Waldron is here. Ellen Page is here. And when we become a collective and we support these women and their voices, I feel hopeful talking to you today, looking at there's something in the water, the work that you do, I feel more hopeful today because the message is finally getting out than I felt 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Seeing that same, I think, um, movement finally starting to rise. Well, yeah. Nova oh, yeah. You go. go on. No, please. Or, yes, I'll, I think, um, I think, well, one of the things in terms of what you're saying in regards to just like how silenced people are, you know, and obviously, Aaron, how much, you know, you were dealing with that at the time, people trying to silence you or, um, you know, oh, you're exaggerating. <laughs> or, yes, of course, you know, and uh, same in Nova Scotia. You know, oh, it's an exaggeration. It's this, it's that. Um, and I think 
you know, for us and Ian Daniel, my co-director and I, and Ingrid as well, of course, one of the big things of this film was let's just let these women speak. Let's just absolutely just let these women speak like enough. And they've been speaking, let's be clear. Like, obviously they've been sacrificing so much and putting so much work and so much energy as, as you would know, of course. And, and, and now thank goodness, you know, it shouldn't have taken this. You know, it absolutely shouldn't have taken this, but it's, it is really wonderful that they are being heard more. And I would say when I have been back in Nova Scotia, since this premiered at TIFF and then it played at the Atlantic Film Festival in Halifax, et cetera. And so this was all just getting more coverage and and, and talked about in general. I just really all the time had people coming up to me saying, oh my God, I had no idea. Oh my God, I had no idea. Oh, my father's from Picto. I had no idea. Oh, my, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's just an example of um, how profoundly silenced these communities have been. And quite frankly, the lack of media coverage. You know, of course, there's great alternative news sources in Nova Scotia, like the Nova Scotia Advocate that's done great work. But for the most part, it's just, it's not covered. It's, it's not, it's not talked about. Um, and that is happening more. And perhaps Ingrid, you can talk about like the, what you're seeing in Nova Scotia in terms of those changes. Yeah, probably. You're right. We don't talk about it enough. Um, and, and that's precisely what I've seen. And whether it's been, and, and Dr. Uh, Waldron, I don't mean to interrupt real quick. I just want to add this. You know, there's been a false sense of security, almost a false illusion or story that's been out there told to us about why this doesn't exist. And so I just wanted to interject that, Ellen, about what you were saying. And with this depression, I have learned and seen that um, we're told that if you don't know science, uh, you know, the thing that set me off back in the day was you're not a doctor, you're not a lawyer, you're not a scientist, you don't have a PhD, what do you know? (laughs) Well, wait a minute. I don't have to be any of that to be a human. And I think all these women are realizing that, especially when their children and their families are impacted, to tell you what I see and know is wrong. And it's, it's, it's getting back to we question our own instincts because there's been this blanket illusion or false sense of security that, frankly, somebody has got your back. They're going to fix this for you. You need to shush up and go away. And you both are clearly so on to that. So I didn't mean to... I get really excited. Listen, I'm doing really good not interrupting every single other word because I, I'm truly so excited to have you here and, you know, talking with you because sometimes I feel very isolated too because people don't always want to hear these conversations, but they're more important now than ever um, because they are daunting and they are frightening. And what I want us to, to know that, you know, we cannot bury our head in the sand and we too can speak up from a very guttural, common sense, intuitive place that what's happening is bullshit. And this is precisely the path of what you both have gone and seen. So I know um, I interrupted again, and Ellen had asked you a question. (laughs) Oh, whether or not there's increasing awareness through the media. Yes, there is. In Nova Scotia, in Canada, uh... Uh, less, 
Well, maybe less so, yes, in terms of the term environmental racism. But I think in Nova Scotia over the past few years, yes, we've been doing a lot of work to raise awareness and, you know, lots of events to raise awareness. The media has become certainly much more educated. When I first started, they would ask me, what is that? Can you explain it? And now, you know, I, I have my go-to media people, I guess, but they know what it's about. They, they don't need an explanation anymore. Um, that's in Nova Scotia. Uh, when I went to when I went to the Toronto International Film Festival and spoke with uh, some media people, they were less educated about environmental racism. So that's why it's exciting for me to have this uh, film on Netflix because it goes beyond the borders of Nova Scotia to the rest of Canada, but also to the United States. And, and American people know what this is. I mean, you've got Flint, Michigan. You've got Cancer. You've got Cancer Alley near Louisiana. You've got Standing Rock. The term environmental racism was created in the 1980s by Reverend Benjamin Chavez, the mid-1980s, that term created in the U.S. So I think while you did express um, some frustration with the challenges that you have in the U.S., I think in the U.S. they're much more aware of this issue um, and much more likely to name the issue as environmental racism. Um, so I think there is progress uh, being made. This, this film is just going to <laughs> lift it up. I mean... You know, we know that film is the most powerful medium. Um, and I'm seeing, I'm seeing that already on my social media, getting, getting comments on social media from people in Paris and China who had seen the film, right? And trying to connect with me and friend me on Facebook from all over the world. So the film is really exciting for me that it's going to lift up this, this work and this, uh, this topic. Correct, and the, and the media is helpful. The, the platforms of um, the entertainment world are extremely helpful, whether it be a film, whether it be a television show, whether it be a documentary on Netflix, whether it be a podcast, and all of these are platforms to start getting information and education and awareness out to people. And the thing that I always think, I've always been shocked to the point where I'll never be shocked again, but that never happens. I'm always proven wrong. Something will happen there like, I didn't see that one coming or how shocked I am. But that I'm shocked that people are shocked that they're waking up that, wait a minute, this just isn't in our backyard yep. or America's backyard or Canada's backyard or Australia's backyard, but it's in all yes. of our backyards. Yes. And so to have these avenues for us to get that information. This is again, where I find that hope. Well, you know, we grew up all of us, I think on this globe, you know, in a classroom, raising our hands for permission to go to the restroom, you know, permission to leave our dinner table. And I've, I've looked at people who I think are coming to me, you know, for permission uh, if you need my permission to speak up and speak out, you're certainly going to get it. But what they're really looking for is exactly what you've given them, exactly what Ellen has given them, the work that I have done that they are now doing themselves, and that is support, supporting their position and seeing the media support that position um, is starting to really help us turn the tide that I think moving forward will change we have to change now, or, or I do not think we survive well, and we have to change our policies. We have to reprioritize our environment, our health, our water, and I'm, it, 
There is no boundary here. Rich, poor, black, white, Republican, Democrat. The argument drives me insane. This is humanity. This is water. This is our environment. And we all will die without it. And the barriers that you've broken through and there's something in the water is beyond admirable. I, I told you I was gushing when you got on. I'm going to gush now and I'm going to gush when you get off. I'm going to gush for days. Um, and I really, listen, I don't, I, <laughs> there's no need for me to blow smoke up anyone's ass. I am um, overjoyed with the work that you've done, both of you, to get this issue pushed further and further till it becomes that massive billions of us in a movement the collective to finally stop and change what's happening in our environment and in our water and what we don't realize how that affects who we are as a person our mental and emotional and spiritual state of being it's all connected and I just think it's amazing the work that you've done. I, any way that I can continue, I don't think you need that. You guys are so well on your way to push what you're doing, the work you're doing. Um, please know that I am here with you, support you, and will do anything that I can in the cause that you're involved in. And I, I hope that everyone is safe right now. Uh, we, we didn't talk about that, but uh, with the coronavirus that, Everybody is safe and well. Yeah. Well, thank you, and you too, of course. Well, maybe the next time you come up here, I'll have you as a speaker for an event that I would hold. I <laughs> I would be there in a in a heartbeat um, <laughs> for both of you, um, Ellen Page and Dr. Ingrid Waldron. Amazing women, amazing activists. You know, this is what I call you know the the bitch and ballbuster group. You know, I. I always have, I'm so proud of myself when I make it through something and I don't drop an F-bomb, but you know, <laughs> there's there kind of a moment in time where, uh, when the film came out, people are always like, you know, they, they would make a comment about the boobs or my foul language. I'm like, that's all you got out of the film. But when you get involved and you see these people harmed and what goes on racially and, and, and environmentally and the pollution and the poison and the despair i don't this is where i come up with what the fuck is going on out here and everyone's like well wait a minute bad language but that's where i learned to use my f-bomb because i just couldn't believe it so i am freaking excited that you were here today and um you know i just badass women all the way to the end i'm thrilled that you spoke with me today and congratulations keep going you're amazing together we'll change the world right yes thank you so much thanks for having thank us you. everyone be safe please you too, you too. okay bye bye, -bye.